Hello, and welcome to Breaking Protocol. I'm your host, Bob Sadowick. Today, I am very fortunate to have on the show two of the most notable political reporters in the state of Texas. Jason Whiteley has been honored with 24 Emmy Awards, two Edward R. Morrow Awards, two dozen others from the Associated Press in Tennessee, Illinois, and Texas. Mr. Whiteley won the Emmy for Best General Assignment Reporter in 2019, 2018, 2017, 2010, and 2005. Jason Wheeler has had an amazing career that has taken him on some phenomenal adventures, including the Amazon rainforest, the presidential campaign trail, a front row view of the space shuttle launch, and to many vortexes of several hurricanes. One might refer to these experiences grueling and gut-wrenching, but no doubt they are exciting. Mr. Wheeler has been recognized with three Emmy Awards, two Edward R. Morrow Awards, a State Bar of Texas Gavel Award, an Excellence in Personal Finance Reporting Award, and multiple Texas Associated Press Awards. Jason Wheeler and Jason Whiteley are the host of my favorite podcast, Yolitics. Yolitics is the unofficial political podcast of Texas, where Jason Whiteley and Jason Wheeler crack open an ice cold brew and explore a single hot topic affecting Texans as we gear up for the 2020 election. But the Jasons say this isn't politics as usual. This is a political podcast for all Texans, even the recent transplants like me. The Jasons were born four days apart. Their initials are the same. Wheeler's older. And they sound alike. <laughs> no, uh, wait, wait, wait. Whiteley's older. He's the older one. <laughs> I was going to let it slide because I look younger. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. Now, according to the Emmys, I am one eighth the reporter that he is, but he is definitely older. <laughs> I didn't realize you had 24 of those things, Jason. That's that's almost grotesque. Uh, there for a couple of years, they were just handing them out. So <laughs> where was I? All right. Let me ask you, gentlemen, how the heck are my listeners going to know, you know, who's answering these questions? I mean, they can't see you. So all I can say Jason, is Whiteley has the deeper voice. Is, is that right? Tonight. Is that right? Yeah, the, the radio voice. I, I, I'm going to call you by your, your formal names. If, if, if you're all okay. right. With yeah. That. We'll, so. we'll preface it too. Yeah. If, if you don't, if you don't call by the formal names, we'll preface who's talking. Okay. Mr. Whiteley, Mr. Wheeler, welcome to breaking. Protocol. Thank you. Thank you for Thanks, having Bob. us. Yalitex is promoted as a laid back podcast with a cold beer and hot takes. What is a laid back political podcast? I get the cold beer, but what's a hot take? I think that what it is, is that we're trying to talk about the issues of the day and we're trying to talk about the stuff that, you know, ordinarily you'll hear people fighting over or you see them fighting over it on Facebook, but we're trying to take the fight part out of it. And that was the, the idea of, you know, each week when we talk to people, that, that was the idea of bringing in the beer, other than the fact that Jason really likes beer, uh, is to try to, you know, get somebody to loosen their collar a little bit, crack one open, and just, can you just talk to us like an actual person? Yeah, we get that you believe this and you feel that way and your policy, you know, leanings are this and that, but can you just kind of put that to the side for a minute and just answer some questions and have a conversation because when you get down to it, I mean, you know, I know it sounds cliche, but you start to talk to enough people and you realize that we really are alike 
in more ways than we are different, even though it's hard to see that anymore sometimes, especially as we approach a big election like this. So we're just trying to take some of the heat out of it uh, and, and, and get some honest conversation, which can be like pulling teeth with some people. Yeah, and, and that was Wheeler talking. This is Whiteley. Um, I, I completely agree. The, the, the whole idea was to to remove the rhetoric, remove the anger that, that so often surrounds any topic these days. And it's it's different for us because, uh, you know, Jason Wheeler and I have uh, the constraints of, of TV. We have to usually cram everything into what may be a three or four minute interview. That's a long time on TV. Five minutes is a long time. So in this, we can just sit back and we can uh, have a conversation and, and uh, you know, lighten it up with some, some uh, lighter questions, some humor in there as well, too. But this really gives us the avenue to do that. So, Jason Whiteley, tell me, was there ever a time when you're interviewing a politician and you knew without a doubt that they were lying to you? <laughs> like you're sitting there, you're interviewing, you know they're lying to you, right? But <laughs> you stuck with the story anyway, and then course, later it gets revealed that some other source revealed the lie. Do you do you ever second guess yourself in those situations? Yeah, I, good question, Bob. I don't recollect a time when someone was ever deliberately lying to me. But what they do and what they do very well is they don't answer the question. So that that's how they get around it. They'll, they'll pivot off of it pretty fast. If someone was deliberately lying and I knew it, I'd, I'd call them out on it. Um, but I, I, you know. R's and D's. I, I don't remember any time that that's happened, especially since we've been doing the podcast or our political program too, Inside Texas Politics. Uh, that that just doesn't happen. I mean, it, it you know, someone could you, you don't have to argue. You you know that it happens on some levels of government, but in local municipalities in Texas and with state leaders we talk to, it's pretty rare. And that's primarily your focus: local local leaders, state leaders. Yeah. And state leaders, you know, it's it's uh, yalletics. I don't know if y'all would go too well in Boston or uh, Chicago <laughs> or places like that. So we, we try to keep it, uh, you know, inside the uh, confines of of Tejas. You know, it's funny. I remember growing up. Uh, I grew up in eastern Oklahoma, and I remember. Sorry I want to say that, it was Bob. third or fourth. <laughs> I was going to say I'm very sorry about that. <laughs> well, you know, I I I, I did get out pretty quick. I have to admit, <laughs> people ask, I, I do, you know, I'm sorry, you know, to my, my, my family that's still there, but I, I do say I escaped immediately after college. <laughs> so tell me, uh, Jason Wheeler, I mean, do you ever get frustrated with the multiple sources of information that's out there and, and all the alternative facts on Facebook and social media? I mean, does that, does that bug you as a professional yeah. journalist? It does. Um, and, and, and the reason it does is because, and I, I have friends of all, you know, political stripes and, uh, you know, as we get closer to the election in particular, I find that I just want to put up a big slate on my page and just say, I'll be back to see y'all again in mid November, <laughs> you know, because it, it, first of all, you just get tired of the infighting back and forth between people. And I think that everyone should be required to be a journalist for you know, two or three years, it should almost be like service to your country, uh, because a you would figure out that we're not all uh, a bunch of horrible people who sit around a table and determine an agenda every day. We wouldn't possibly have time for such a meeting. First of all, secondly, I think it would be really good for people to learn to just shut up, 
just to keep their political <laughs> opinions to themselves and to have to churn out a work product day after day involving these principles from the left and from the right without injecting your own opinion into it, which we do this all the time. We, we have to you know, stay middle of the road there. And I think it would do society a lot of good to have everybody practice that a little bit, because then you would learn to keep your opinions to yourself when somebody else is expressing an opinion. It's fine for you to believe a certain way and to lean a certain way, but you don't have to tear down everybody who doesn't believe what you believe. I think it's been very good for me to be a journalist over the years because I just know that I, I don't need to have that conversation. I don't need to bring it up at Thanksgiving and see if I can get a food fight going at the table. I, I, I can believe what I want to. I can go to the voting booth and express that. But beyond that, not everybody needs to hear everything that I have to say uh, about politics. But yes, uh, I see all of these friends posting articles and these salacious headlines come across. And the first thing I do is I look down beneath it and see how many people have commented, taken the bait, liked it, reshared it, et cetera. And then the second thing I do is I look at the source for the article. And I mean, you get sources, you know, ABC 321, you know, politics uh, are horrible.com. And it's like, guys, I have never heard of this. You've never heard of this. How did you end up on that site? And why are you sharing that? And why is anybody believing what is written there? I'd add two. I'd and add two and I just made up that website. If that website exists, I don't mean <laughs> I, that was purely, I, I tried to make it as generic as possible. Yeah, I'd add two things to that. Number one, just listen. I mean, there's so much garbage on social media right now. Just listen to somebody else. You don't have to listen to them, you know, on their news feed and on Twitter or anywhere like that. But just you know, listen to people. Be kind. And on top of that, my wife and I just started watching a film the other day. We haven't ended it because we go to bed kind of late after putting the kids down. We started watching The Social Dilemma. Mm-hmm. And if you haven't seen The Social Dilemma, I really encourage you to see that because it's it shows. Mm-hmm. Not only how we're being manipulated by technology, but but more than that, the, the underlying theme to it, I think, is is how we're being played by the Russians, the North Koreans, and the Chinese, Russians specifically. So I got to imagine after 2016, the Russians were just cracking up over there in Moscow and different places like that. And after 2020, they're hoping to have a big party as well, too. Critical thinking. That's what it's all about these days. You Use your own head. You know, there's a lot of smart people out there. You know, I was just reading a tweet from Paul Reed from CBS this morning, and she actually tweeted about there's a timeline when a lot of crazy conspiracy theory type things start getting tweeted out. And it's usually around, it's late, late in the night for us, but it's very early in the morning in Moscow. And there's a whole timeline on, on now, is there any Facts behind that? Is it speculation? I mean, you know, who knows? But in a video recently, I was watching the both of you. Jason Wheeler, you talked about how the world world of politics has changed in the last decade. And no doubt that's true. I would venture to guess that politics has probably changed in the last week. Hmm. But Jason Whiteley, when you're talking to these folks on your show, Inside Texas Politics, I mean, because things are changing so quickly. Do you find yourself sticking to your, you know, your, your protocol or do you have just sling from the hip these days? Bob, we try to break protocol <laughs> whenever <good>. possible. <laughs> That's pretty good. 
I was wondering how long I, how I was going to work that in there, and I didn't even have to do that today. We're 14 minutes in, so uh, mark me down as credit for that one. Uh, but no, we, we try we try to uh, you know break protocol again. The, the biggest the biggest challenge I think that that I have, and, and maybe Jason Wheeler also, is is keeping people on point to answer the specific question. Some people are great at it. Um, and, you know, the Republicans are the same as Democrats on it. Democrats don't want to talk about some things. Republicans don't want to talk about some things. And that's our job to ask those specific pointed questions. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about how politics has changed and how this race is different also uh, with COVID. And one of the things he said was a lot of the people, a lot of the candidates just don't get these specific pointed questions because there's much less interaction. Um, you know, for example, we're trying to line up several debates for our, our television program inside Texas politics. And, and I, I've seen this on, on both sides. I'm not going to name names. Um, oh, come on. It's Bob's we, show. We, you got to name a name. <laughs> we, we had a, we had a Republican. We have a Republican running for Congress who absolutely refuses to do a debate. Um, this is a North Texas Republican absolutely refuses to debate uh, the other person in the race. We have a, a a sitting incumbent who is in the Texas House of Representatives who has a pretty strong challenger, and that sitting incumbent absolutely refuses to do a debate. Now, th- there's a lot of politics involved in this. Are are, are the ratings? I mean, are the uh, the poll numbers down internally for that candidate? Are they not getting as much uh, fundraising as uh, as they think they need in these final days, final weeks? There's there's a lot that plays into it. But at the end of the day. Um, it's it's the viewers and the voters who miss out and have to rely on all that garbage that's on your Twitter feed and and on your uh, Facebook feed. You you guys do a great job of that of of engaging on a personal level with folks and and specifically on Yolitics. That's that's kind of one of the goals behind the platform of Yolitics. You know your job in journalism as a reporter. Typically, is being face to face with people, interacting, finding a trust factor with them, so they will confide in you. So they'll tell you the truth. They'll trust you. I mean, how's that changed for you guys? And you know, are there any secrets you've discovered using social media, personal communication techniques with Zoom, etc., to develop that trust factor? Because you can't be face to face with them now. Uh, this is yeah. The beer helps, uh, it, it, and and I think it, no, it really it, and I think it helped more pre-pandemic, obviously, because we could actually sit down with somebody, crack one open, and just kind of shoot the breeze with them is what it felt like. And then you get them like you know five minutes in, they're like, "Are we? We're recording?" You're like, "Yeah, this is it's just a conversation. We're just we're, we've already begun. We're underway here." It is a lot harder to do by Zoom. It's a lot harder to do when you're not in the room with somebody. Uh, I think that uh, what helps is there's usually a minute or two before we actually get underway. And uh, invariably, um, I'm muted when I first get on. And uh, I can't hear. I've, I've got everybody, you know, I've got my, my, my speakers turned off. And it's like I have to set up my whole computer again every single time we start. And so I'm trying to make some great point and, and whitely saying, you're still muted. You're muted. We can't hear you, you know. And, 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 and I think that that disarms people because they think, God, 
don't they do this every week? I mean, isn't this guy supposed to be a professional? And so usually there's some laughter and they say, gosh, I always run into somebody like this in one of my meetings and blah, blah, blah. And, and it kind of loosens it all up. And then we hit record and start talking. But uh, generally speaking, I, I think that people come out of the gates too, and they feel very at ease before we start recording on there. And they start to say something. And almost weekly, we have to say, whoa, 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 put those words back in your mouth because you're never going to say it the same way again when we start recording. So don't tell us that yet. Let's not say that yet and wait until we hit record. Like Jason said too earlier, this is Whiteley speaking, but like Jason said earlier, we don't debate these people. It's fine for them to have an opinion. I think it's important for people to lay out their opinions so others who might not share the same ideas can at least hear where they're coming from and hear it on a personal level. So that, that's one thing I think we really try to do on Yolitics because we have time to do it. Mm-hmm. And if we can share a, a cold pint, you know, why not? Speaking of which, Bob, what are you drinking there? Cause it's kind of early for us to even have. <laughs> it looks like a bloody Mary. Well, yeah. I, I knew you guys, I knew you guys were going to bring that up. It, it, it actually isn't, although I'm not, I'm not beneath having a bloody Mary at this hour. <laughs> this is, <laughs> this is, this is simply just a V8. It's, it's, ah, my, V8. it's my breakfast this morning. Um, <laughs> And, and and I'm getting absolutely no sponsorship from V8. So <laughs> you should need to work on that. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, you know what's interesting. And and by the way, I I love the. I was I was going to save this for later, but why the one beer limit? I'm sorry, I you know I that was our boss. Oh, was that your boss? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They, you know, it was. It's funny how this whole concept came about, you know. And we were really interested in doing a political show. We really didn't set out to do a beer show and add in politics. I don't know why we didn't set out thinking that way, but the politics came first, uh, and then someone along the way mentioned, "Wow, wouldn't it be great to just, you know, make this really laid back and and crack open a beer every time?" And that suggestion surprisingly did not come from me, and it did not come from Whiteley. Uh, it came from someone over our heads. And so we were like, you know, immediately we latched onto it, probably with so much fervor uh, that the boss above that boss uh, very quickly said, I like this idea, but we need to limit it to one. Like, this isn't going to be some drunk fest with politics thrown in. <laughs> and, and for context, you know, journalists don't have that, uh, you know, company credit card can go out and wine and dine and entertain like, uh, you know, sales reps and, and folks like that. So, it is rare for uh, a journalist to to sit down and have their company buy them a beer. Yes. So hey, we were like, hey, heck yeah, we're absolutely going to do this. These are the first free beers I think I've ever received in my career. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, and and you come up with some creative ones, I have to say, uh, Jason Wheeler, uh, specifically you. You you, you definitely the, the come Buffalo up with Butt. Some- Buffalo well, you know, butt. Uh, that was, yeah, that, uh, that one was here at home. Too, Jason enjoys is, Buffalo butt. I mean, I, I've never <laughs> myself sampled it, so I, I can't speak on it. And I've had it a couple of times now. Uh, yeah, it's uh, that somehow ended up in my refrigerator. And I honestly, it, I didn't buy that. I don't know where it came from. I don't know who brought it, but I'm glad they did. Um, outside of, you know, when we've been quarantined, when we were actually, you know, in pre-pandemic days out and about, uh, I always chose my beers by um, the name. I, I do it just like horse racing because I I can't keep up with all these beers. Somebody hands you a list. It's got 250 beers on it. I don't know what all of these are. So I'll just go through it just like I do with horse racing. And I pick the one that has the most interesting name and go with it. And a Casey, lot of times it's not great. 
Yeah, Jason gambles a lot. Clearly, it's it sounds like. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but but for your your uh, potential, um, uh, you know, sponsors in the future, Buffalo Butt is by what Rar Brewing Rar Company and Sons. Yeah, out of uh, Fort Worth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I've well, learned a lot about. Them. Oh, that's a local. It's a local brew. It, it is. It and is. Do, and do you and try Jay- to stick to that? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. It just again, it depends on what's in the fridge. You know, these days, anyway. Someone's stocking Jason's fridge, and we're not too clear on who that is. So that, no, might but be I want them to keep episode. coming. <laughs> can, can I ask you guys something? You know, a lot of terminology gets thrown around in media these days, and I and some of it has to be absolutely intentional. But this particular term, I think, is highly overused and has no relevance anymore. And that term is breaking news. Mm. And it's ridiculous. I mean, and don't get me wrong. You know, I love me some Nora O'Donnell. Who doesn't, (laughs) right? I mean, who doesn't? But every single night, Nora opens with breaking news. I mean, Mm -hmm. can't you guys come up with something better than that? Yeah, you know, I've I've said that for years. I, I this goes back a ways actually that breaking news first started being uh, abused uh, as a term, and I I, I warned way back then uh, that eventually that's going to lose its meaning. Uh, eventually, we're going to have real breaking news, and it's going to be like the the boy who cried wolf. Like nobody's going to listen anymore because you hear that term so often, especially if you've got cable news on. Uh, it's I, it's not as common uh, at the local level. We we don't do it as much, although it, it does still happen at the local level where it gets misused, I think. Uh, but nationally, my goodness, every time you turn on the TV, breaking news, and then it's really just an update on something that has been going on for hours and hours and hours, and there's nothing breaking about the detail that is being updated. And it is, I think it is a disservice, and I do, I do think it makes people sort of tune out. Yeah, whitely here, and I completely agree with that. At the end of the day, though, here's here's the problem: is that consultants have tested and tested and tested this, and you know what they find? Viewers love it, just like they love rolling through ABC one two three politics hates the world. <laughs> Jason mentioned earlier, they latch onto that thing. And, oh, I must be missing out on something. And when you talk about Nora O'Donnell, who anchors the CBS Evening News, and you talk about uh, David Muir on ABC, and then. Uh, the NBC newscast also, the evening newscast at 5.30, they all start with breaking news and they have like multiple breaking stories as if this is the last day on, on that will inhabit the planet. Um, but those stories broke hours ago. And the problem is, not a problem. I mean, it's pretty successful for these guys. They know it works. And these national newscasts, especially right now, have some of the highest ratings they've ever had, mm-hmm. ever had in the past about 25, 30 years, you know, since the, uh, uh, not the invention of cable news, but, but since it really kind of blew up, people are turning to these newscasts and they all start and use breaking news as much as they can. I agree with Jason, completely overused. Use it when, when you need to. If something, you know, happened two or three hours ago, that's not breaking. Something mm-hmm. happens within an hour or so, I, I would still maybe label that breaking news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's probably not helpful that someone like myself actually records all three, NBC, ABC, and CBS, wow. 30 News wow. every night, and I watch all three of them. That's a heavy and, diet there, Bob. <laughs> I'm a little obsessed with, uh, you know, with politics, obviously, but I'm also a little obsessed with just... Well, I think it's good with though. breaking news. <laughs> I, no, I think it's good that you're doing that though. And I tell people this, you know, 
broaden out your sources. You know, people say, well, you know, what should I watch and what should I read? Uh, I've had people in my own family, you know, they'll say, well, you're in the news. You know, what, you know, what, what am I supposed to read? How do I know fact from fiction or whatever? And I tell them you need to read and watch as many sources as you can on a daily basis. And don't go to those exact same sources every day, get sort of a broader view than that. And if you see some salacious headline on this obscure website. Again, I just make these things up off the top of my head. So I wasn't slamming anybody if that really was a website earlier. If you see something like that and it's only in one place and you don't see it anywhere else that this bombshell report is not being covered by anyone else, the chances are that that bombshell report from that obscure website is not true. So take in as many sources as you can possibly get your hands on and you'll be better rounded. You'll be able to think for yourself a little bit. You might have more context and understand what's going on in the world around you. And you might not have to just uh, in a zombie-like way, believe what a leader or a candidate is telling you all the time. I think that people have tended to sh you know, shift you know, to this point where they turn their minds off and they're following a candidate or a party or a particular leader. If you find yourself 100% in agreement with a party or a leader or a candidate all the time, there's something wrong. You shouldn't find yourself 100% in agreement. Yeah, politics is, is, is the biggest, it's the biggest sport in the world. Um, I would add to that um, for news sources, where you get your news, don't rely on cable news for, for anything other than, than gab. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's, that's all it is. You, you notice they all kind of follow the nightline model. And this is not to, to slam Ted Koppel at all, mm -hmm. but what nightline started doing very successfully during the Iran hostage crisis um, was the live interviews. And it was super expensive back then because it was all satellite and satellite mm -hmm. time was very expensive. But Ted Koppel would spend, you know, seven, eight, nine minutes or 10 minutes or so um, on, on live interviews. That eats a big chunk of your actual uh, newscast. There's very little when you have when you have those live interviews. Uh, there is very little actual going out and reporting, talking to sources, double checking things. That doesn't happen as much. Why? Because it's expensive to have these crews and these correspondents, uh, photographers, all types of these people out there doing that. It's much cheaper. Throw a bunch of talking heads on CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. They all do that. And that's, that's why I would not rely on any of those three um, for actual news content. Separately, going back to your uh, heavy diet of uh, network evening news, which I, I think is pretty good. Here's a drinking game for you. I've always wanted to play this, but I'm usually working at 530. Take a drink every time you hear anybody between 530 and 6 on one of these shows say tonight. And th yeah. there's a, at least one that I watch regularly, um, and they say tonight at least every other sentence as if we don't know what time it is. I'm like, come on guys. Mm -hmm. Again, that's probably consultants driving that, but it, we, you know, I, I know this is relative, you know, th this is all things that have happened today. So we don't need tonight. What's happening. You bring up an interesting point and, and it was something that I, I did want to address. And that is how much do your bosses, how much influence do your bosses have in telling you what you can and can't say when you're reporting or who you can and can't interview uh, when it comes to persons of notoriety? Are you able to push back on that? And do your advertisers have any control in that? 
I've never had a, a boss say that I can or can't interview anybody or can or can or can't do a topic. Uh, before I moved to Dallas uh, 12 years ago, I worked in Houston and um, I did a, a critical story. It was legitimate. It actually happened, but it was a pretty critical story uh, about one of the big advertisers. And that advertiser decided they were going to stop advertising with the TV station I worked for. Um, and they stopped for like six months or so. And that's, you know, it was a chunk of change the station lost. After that, they, they told me not to say anything bad happened, just to say, you know, this, this happened, just FYI, this is going on in the background. But they never told me, don't do a follow-up, don't do anything else on that story, ne never report on these people again, never. And in the 30 years I've been doing this since 1990, never had any, any uh, boss or manager say to look this way, don't interview somebody, not at all. I concur with that. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and I think that that will surprise a lot of people. I think a lot of people think that there's some heavy handedness, that there's much more of an agenda uh, that we, you know, go in with these preconceived notions each day and that we're protecting certain people or entities uh, and going after others uh, couldn't be further from the truth. It is uh, very much. And I don't want to make it sound like it's, you know, the Wild West either in saying that it's a free for all every day. Uh, but it is wide open on any given day. We follow it where it goes. Uh, we follow it where we can see it's going. Um, and, and just like Jason, you know, I've been in this for decades. Uh, there was one story uh, years ago when I worked in Pittsburgh where I was called into my boss's office and reminded that the people I had done the story on uh, are huge advertisers with us. And I said, well, you know, are you telling me not to do it? And my boss said, no, I'm not. Uh, and I was like, well, then I don't think that we need to continue with this meeting. You know, there's no need for this meeting to even happen. I shouldn't even be made aware of that. You know, uh, that is the only time in, in decades of doing this. Let, let me let me give your let me give your listeners, Bob. Sorry, uh, this is Whiteley again. Yeah, go ahead. J just a little a little background on on how on how at least at the local level newspapers, TVs, uh, stations, newsrooms work. When we go in as reporters or as, as uh, you know, Jason's an anchor, every day we have two editorial meetings, one, you know, in the morning, that's for our four or five and six o'clock news. And then we have one in the afternoon, that's for our 10 o'clock news, where we plan out the stories. Each reporter at WFAA has to bring in two story ideas every day. They can't be, you know, uh, local angles to national stories. They can't be something the Dallas Morning News or someone else uh, reported the day or, a day or so earlier. We can't be following someone else's stories. We have to develop our own stories. And as a reporter, see, you can't tell when I put stuff in my hair, but I have a lot more gray in here than you can tell. <laughs> I see but, it. I see but it. But that's, you see that right there? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, that's, that's hard as hell to do because it requires you to go out, to meet people, to hang on to their cell phone numbers, to talk to them, to follow up with them. Hey, what have you heard going on in, in Ellis County, in Denton County? What's happening in Fort Worth? What are, what's going on that nobody knows about we should be talking about? Do that for whatever beat you're on. If you're covering the fire department, if you're covering aviation like I do sometimes, or even politics, stay in touch with people. And not just the, you know, let's say aviation, not just the, the CEOs of of uh, Southwest and uh, American Airlines, but also the mechanics unions, right? The, the pilots unions, the flight attendants. You know what? It's the same as politics, Republicans and Democrats. You get a well-rounded view of what's happening in that entity when you talk to everybody who's part of it. Well, since you brought it up, do you think the uh, 
the Congress is going to be able to bail the industry out, the airline industry out? I don't see how they don't. I think there's so many jobs. There, there are so many jobs that are tied here. And we've, you know, we've seen a little bit of a slowing with the recovery now. Uh, we, we've seen some of the steam running out of it. Uh, the, the Fed chairman keeps warning over and over again that, you know, uh, uh, too much stimulus would be uh, a lot better than not enough, essentially. Uh, and, and I just, I don't, I can't imagine how you don't plug some holes there because we're talking about some enormous losses uh, as far as employment goes from some of these companies. Now, that being said, you know, I can say I don't see how you don't uh, all this time. And I'm not advocating for one or the other. Uh, I'm just looking at the realities of we've got an election right around the corner. And I just can't imagine that anyone wants to have that you know, sort of on their hands, uh, you know, more job losses. Mr. Whiteley, what are your sources telling yeah, you? Yeah, well, this is Whiteley here. I'll advocate for it. Yeah, I, I think they absolutely should be funding the airlines. American Airlines is already in the process of laying off thousands of people. The biggest work pool they have over there is flight attendants. You have all these flight attendants losing their jobs. It's already happened. You have mechanics who have been there for years and flight attendants who've been there for years who yeah. are already retiring. So in hopes of a younger person's job might still be saved if they leave the company earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, while, while this politics, this, this political stuff is, is playing out on Capitol Hill and all the garbage up, you know, up there with, with this issue, it's affecting real Texans lives. And it's ridiculous that these people have to go through that. That said, Congress came together quickly and by and a bipartisan level for the CARES Act and, and the uh, other relief that they've done, the Paycheck Protection Program, things like that. They can do it. We know they can do it. They need to get off their tail. And like Jason said, the reason they're not is because it's an election season and we're in that final sprint. We're in the fourth quarter, but people are, are being impacted by this. People are, are not having enough, enough money for rent right now. For yeah. mortgages, maybe for food. I mean, a friend of mine runs a food bank um, here in Dallas, and it's it's insane the yeah. number of people who are lined up for it. This is not third world. This is Dallas, Texas, and yeah. you have cars and cars and cars of people. Not old jalopies. You have all kinds of vehicles in there that you might be surprised would show up and wait for hours to get a bag of food. And if the, you know, and, and a lot of people will complain about a lot of money going to big companies, big airlines and so forth. But I think that the way that they did it this past time worked uh, where, you know, yes, you can have the money, but there's a catch. You've got to not lay your people off. You can't just go, you know, put it into stock buybacks and things like that. You've got to actually keep your employees on staff. And that worked for the first six months here of the pandemic. But now that money and that time has run out and these companies obviously are still struggling because so many people don't want to get in to an airplane right now. But, you know, Texas, if you look on, there, there's a trade industry, uh, there's a group there that represents a lot of airlines and they have a map and you can go click on different states. And Texas is one of the most affected when it comes to aviation industry. We've got a lot of big companies here and they put out the number that for every 100 jobs in, in, in the airlines, there are 300 non-airline jobs that are support jobs to those jobs. So when you hear about thousands of, of positions being cut at airlines here in Texas, multiply that then times three. That's the number outside the aviation industry that could also lose jobs because they directly support those jobs in the, in the aviation industry. I want to switch gears here for just a second. I want to talk a little bit about your personal relationship to your job. 
which mm. is something I think a lot of people who consume news uh, wonder about uh, about the impact that your job has on you as a person, your families, etc. Last week on my show, I had Maria Inaosa on, who is NPR. You probably are both familiar with Maria. She just wrote a new book uh, called Once I Was You, which is about the what she views as the total failed immigration debacle in this country. And that directly impacts the people of Texas. Uh, and you, re- you, you both have reported on this. My question, and I'm going to ask Jason Whiteley this question. You've, you've reported from the border. Uh, you haven't been inside the detainment camps, but you've been, you've been impacted by them. You, you've seen them. You've also, according to research, you have witnessed four executions in the state prison system, and you've covered hurricanes and uh, just a lot of really hard experiences that people, human beings have gone through. Do you ever just get emotionally overcome with so much pain from covering these sorts of things that you have to come home and just like unload or do you, are you able just to completely leave it at the door? I, I, covering the uh, Oklahoma city bombing in 1994 or five, I mean, that, that was, that was emotional because then we were right up. The, the media line was right up next to the Alfred P. Murrah building. I mean, like a block away. So you can see everything. And they had us right next to where the, the, the firefighters were coming in and going out, coming in. So going in, they were all, you know, ready to go, you know, buttoned up, coming out. They were exhausted. This is the rescuers going to look for bodies and things like that. And they were telling stories. And I remember being there with one story that has always stuck in my mind about the, the uh, guy who was uh, trapped under some rubble and they had to use uh, like a, a knife to cut his leg off there without any, uh, you know, anything to uh, deaden the, the pain. And bring him out. And it's just, you know, children died in that. It, it, it was horrible. Covering the border is, is you know, it, it, it's, it's tragic because these are, these are people who just want to come here for a better life. They're not coming here for anything else. And everybody, I think everybody agrees. If you have any deadbeats coming up here, rapists and murderers, as some folks say, send them back. But 99% of the people aren't coming for that. You come up here to, to make money, to live, to survive, and to give their kids an opportunity. And then lastly, just because you mentioned it um, about the uh, executions, um, I, I didn't know what I was going to think about covering an execution. I, I covered uh, Houston and then a couple up here. And executions, when you, when you go in at TDCJ to the Walls unit down in Huntsville, it's the old prison um, down there, and that's where they have the execution chamber. And you walk in, there's two like master size closets. And in one side, there is a wall between them. One side is the uh, victim, crime victim's family. The other side is the condemned person's uh, family or representatives or friends in there. And each one holds like nine or 10 people. And then when you're standing there, uh, you know, waiting for the execution to begin, they open, the curtains closed when you first get there. And they open a curtain and both sides can't see each other, but they can both see into the chamber where the person is laying. And after four or five of these, uh, the majority of them being the Texas seven inmates who, who shot and killed uh, the Irving police officer, Aubrey Hawkins Hawkins on Christmas Eve of 2000. um, 
it's a clinical process. It's not like electrocution where they push a button and, you know, things start, uh, you know, they start jumping and things like that. It's a clinical process, but in all of these executions, there has never been a single person that I saw who ever said, I didn't do it. You're killing the wrong person. So for me, for my money, for, for, for where I'm coming from, um, they all accepted their fate. They, they knew, a lot of them knew going into it that, uh, you know, this, this could happen if they committed that crime. And every single one of them accepted it and apologized to the family members who were there. So that hasn't bothered me as much. I mean, could the state do something else? Perhaps. Um, what that is, is, you know, has been and will be debated for years. I, I, is it a, I guess what I'm saying, is it a deterrent? And, and I don't know if it is. If we didn't have it, you know, that, that's the ultimate test to see uh, what happens if we didn't have it. Jason Wheeler, do you feel that political reporters get compromised if their personal political views get exposed? I think yeah if you're I think if your personal political views were exposed that yeah that could compromise you unless you're with an outlet where that's encouraged I mean you know we we see that there are left leaning and right leaning outlets where it's perfectly acceptable for you to go ahead and lob your opinion out there but I would say just you know in a standard uh middle of the road um traditional uh newsroom uh, yeah, that would compromise you a lot if you're, you know, covering politics and you obviously have a slant one way or the other. Uh, I would be interested to see how that would come out, though. You know, would it be that somebody would expose that or that you actually said something on air? Um, but yeah, I think that that would probably, you know, force you to have to pull away from that. Well, it's just in the world of social media today. There's oh, yeah. so much out there, you know. Yeah, there's a, you, you got to be very careful when you do what we do for a living as far as, you know, the, the things that you're posting personally as well. And we get, we actually have trainings uh, about these sorts of things, uh, uh, you know, best practices when it comes to posting things, because sometimes it can be very nuanced uh, what you're posting about. Uh, and uh, in fact, it, you know, gives away that you have a, a bent one way or the other. And, you know, nobody expects us to not have opinions that they do expect us rightly, I think, to not express those personal political opinions, though, considering what we do. So let me lighten it up just a little bit. You guys like to play a lightning round game when you're drinking beer and talking politics. In fact, yeah. I think, think, Mr. Wheeler, I think that's your game. I right. think it's Whiteley who usually starts it. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Well, yeah. well, let me, let I, me. I never ask quick questions. He's the best at asking the quick <laughs> questions. He jabs me all the time about how my questions go on too long. <laughs> well, well, I'm gonna. I'm I'm horrible with that myself. So here we go. Favorite writer, Anthony Bourdain. I don't know. I don't read a lot. I, I don't read a lot of books. I read a lot of articles, magazines, uh, you know, newspapers. I don't read a lot of books. Favorite writer slash reporter? Oh, there's some really good ones out there. Uh, you know, I really like Nina Totenberg uh, with NPR, uh, who covers the Supreme Court. I think she's phenomenal in the way that she can weave a story about arguments in court and just draw you in. Top person on your list of people you have not interviewed? I think mine would be, and, 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 you know, just because we're talking about politics here, Obama, uh, President Obama, because uh, before Obama, I had interviewed, uh, you know, it, it all, you know, the, the living presidency, you know, I've been getting to all of them. Uh, and uh, it just ended there for some reason. In those eight years, I never had a, a chance to interview him or Trump, for that matter. I haven't uh, spoken to Trump either. 
Jason, I know you've gotten both of those. So who's yours? No, I, I haven't. Um, and Obama is a good one. I mean, not not to drag this out. I know it's a lightning round, but whoever, <laughs> whoever, whoever, you know, we want to interview, we usually take a shot at, at doing it, whether it's for TV or for our podcast. Uh, Yolitics. So there's there's not really a I don't have a running list, but I, I think Obama would be a would be a great one. Favorite movie of all time? I have two: Midnight Run, Charles Grodin and uh, Robert De Niro in like '84, and uh, Casablanca. I would have to if I had to choose one, I'm going to go classic too and say Casablanca. That was the first one that popped into my head. Favorite president? Favorite, favorite president? Benjamin Harrison. I'm just kidding. I know nothing about <laughs> Benjamin Harrison. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, uh, um, I, I've interviewed Carter and uh, Jimmy Carter is a hell of a nice guy. He's yeah. uh, people say he's too nice, too nice to have been president. Um, I grew up, uh, you know, under Reagan. And so, uh, I mean, that, that, those were good times for me. So and then I started looking at things a lot more critically um, right after that when I started working in, in journalism. So I, I'd say, you know, Carter and Reagan. But, you know, that, that's that's obviously couch just. Personally, not politically speaking, I will say uh, Lincoln, and it and it doesn't have to do with politics. It has to do with the the character of the man, uh, because I can't imagine a harder time to have led this country than what he went through, and and he just seemed like he kept this this path and this 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 focus uh, all the way through that, and I just can't imagine what the discipline had to be like to do that and, and how he must've been pulled on both sides all the time on all sides and uh, managed to get through it. Jason wins that answer. I was going to say FDR, but you know what? I was going to go a little lighter with somebody that people may recollect. Well, you can't you know, change your answers. I, I, I can edit it out and stay with Benjamin Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> now, also I understand Jason Wheeler, you are somewhat of a self-proclaimed jock, right? No, Self-proclaimed? We all proclaim that he is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're, you're all, let me tell you something, Bob. There's nobody. Did you say joke? Wait, wait, wait. No did you say joke or like jock? Jason Wheeler? Okay, he is the roller. He's getting on the circuit. We understand. We're trying to do stories on this. Yeah, I understand this rollerblading thing. Which, by the way, you know, it's rather '90s. I don't know if you know about it. That. Is yeah, um, it is. Yeah, but you're also a big tennis player. I understand as well, right? Uh, well, I don't know how we qualify big uh, tennis player, but yes, <laughs> tennis player for sure. Uh, it's 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 a great sport. It's one of those sports that you uh, you never feel like you ever get to a a, a level where you can go, "Wow, I'm good." You know, uh, you, you'll go out there and kill it one night and just think, "Okay, I yeah, that was amazing." And then the next day, it's like you have never played in your life. You know, so it's a great challenge. And yes, I do still rollerblade. And I will challenge anybody who wants to laugh at it, that would be Whiteley, uh, to <laughs> strap on a pair of these and come ride along with me and see how easy you think it is. That is one of the hardest exercises you can do. If you're really pushing it on rollerblades, that is a hard exercise. Don't be fooled by my extra fancy light up wheels. Okay. Yes, there's some fun happening there, but it's work. I will say I gave rollerblading a try one time. And, and, and when mm -hmm. I wrapped myself around a street light pole, I, yes. uh, I I took the blades off and, the, and that was the end of that. I have had some spectacular crashes, yes. 
<laughs> well, this this body's too old to, to be crashing into anything anymore. <laughs> I can I can assure you. I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap up with this. Have have either of you ever asked a question in your reporting to someone, and then later in reflecting back, have you regretted it? Oh, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Probably this week twice. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. No. Absolutely. Yeah. I might regret some things I, I answered in this podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that happens all the time, Bob. I, I I'll ask a question, and especially like for our our political TV program, Inside Texas Politics, because I have like four and five minutes for these interviews, and I get like four questions in, maybe. So all of them have to count. They all have to be pointed, and sometimes I'll ask it not in the most direct, pointed way. I think it is. I think it's the best question in the world. But I realize how they're responding to it, that they're pivoting off the point. The point could have been finer and sharper. So, yeah, all the time, man. I, I, I'm my worst critic on that. Yeah, I, I, I totally concur with that again. It's, you know, later on, it, it sort of ruminates and you think, oh, man, that was kind of inartful or, wow, I wouldn't want to be asked that. Uh, and, 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 you know, if it's a politician, I don't mind as much if it's just an ordinary person, maybe who's going through the, the worst day of their lives, let's say, and, you know, you're, you know, you're trying to be very, uh, you know, attentive to that and you're trying to understand where they're coming from, but, you know, maybe sometimes things come off a little harsh and you think, gosh, the way they looked at me when I asked that, I think that they, they took a different thing from that. I, I, I wasn't trying to, to push them. I was just, you know, trying to tell their story, but you know, they were in a low point in their life. Gentlemen, it has truly been a pleasure having you both on the show today. I really appreciate it. You know, I can't wait until this pandemic's behind us and I can enjoy listening to Yolitics when you guys are actually interviewing your guest again face to face at one of my many favorite watering holes in Dallas. So I want to wish you both the best of luck. Keep your ear to the ground the next few weeks because no doubt this election is going to be unlike we have anything we've ever seen in the past. It's going to be a wild one. Thanks so much, man. It was fun. Bob, thanks for having us. It was great. And thank all of you for listening today. Yolitics is available on your favorite podcast platform. And if you enjoyed our conversation, please click and subscribe for notification of future episodes. If you haven't had an opportunity to read my book, Breaking Protocol, Forging a Path Beyond Diplomacy, it's available at your favorite online retailer or for download to your Kindle, tablet, or smartphone. Have a beautiful day and many blessings. Mm -hmm.